This episode is brought to you by Mad Call Festival. Probably Madrid's biggest and best festival, Mad Call is returning once again this summer and it's going to be one to remember. Not only will there be massive names like Dua Lipa, Janelle Monet, Bring Me the Horizon and The Killers playing, because who doesn't love a bit of Mr Brightside after a day of pints in the sun? There'll also be tons of new buzzy acts like Nia Archives, Crawlers, Kneecap and Picture Parlour scattered across the bill too. Obviously, with it being in Madrid, there'll be plenty of ace Spanish artists to check out across the weekend. Plus, heading to a festival like this is the perfect chance to get a good dose of sunshine and culture, all while getting to watch some of your favourite bands and necking a cheeky sangria or two. This year's Mad Cool Festival takes place from the 10th to the 13th of July in Madrid, and tickets can be purchased now over at their website, madcoolfestival.es. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. I am Lisa Wright. This is my co-host and producer, Giles Bidder. Hello! Hello, Giles. And hello to our latest guest. It is the one and only top comedian, essentially the king of podcasts is on the podcast it's mr james acaster um you i mean james acaster needs no introduction really um he is one half of off menu i would say the best podcast out there um he is a award-winning comedian he is currently filming ghostbusters as making him a fully-fledged hollywood actor um he is a man of so many different talents um that it's just you can't you don't really need to sum up he's just a, he's just a all-round talented funny fella also fun fact uh we recently as part of james's temps music project another thing that he can also add to his bow uh gave james a little album launch party at diy recently and who showed up to the album launch party none other than recent off-menu guest paul rod so basically the podcast world the music world the diy acaster rod trifecta is a complete little circuit these days as always on before they knew better we asked james to bring in a song an object and a photo from his youth and young manhood um his photo is one of my favorites ever it is truly ludicrous uh and as you would expect from james acaster he's got some pretty good stories to back it up go and give temp's album party gate purgatory a spin if you haven't already go and listen to basically every episode of off menu and all of James's comedy specials because they're all absolutely solid gold and enjoy our chat with the one and only James Acaster on Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. I feel like at the moment you've sort of reached a level of busy where like have you got some sort of like Bernard's Watch scenario going on because it feels like you're sort of juggling about 20 projects at once now? I mean, look, at the minute, it's like in a little period where kind of only have one thing going on, so it's okay. It's like a, a bit of an in-betweeny, you know, I'm writing an audio sitcom. I finished the film I was doing. The album's been released, getting ready to release the EP, but there's no extra work for me to do there. Yeah, okay. The calm before the storm, the gigs. So that's Heckler's welcome. So it's inviting people to heckle you or it's sort of uh, going off some of the classic heckles that you have received in the past? Neither, really. It's, uh, it, they're, they're just allowed to do what they want. So okay. it's not inviting it. It's kind of... So, yeah, it's kind of... Although even when you explain the rules at the start of the show, there are still people who come up to you afterwards and go, well, you're inviting Heckler. 
you know, I'm not, but I'm also not getting annoyed about it. So the whole kind of point of the show is I've got a whole show written of material, but um, they're allowed to do what they want as an audience. And, and it's messing, it's playing with that idea more. So it's less, you guys all heckle me and I'll come back at the heckles and let's see. <laughs> it, it, and it's, it's not that at all. And it's not, here's a bunch of times I've been heckled in the past. Cause actually those stories can get tired pretty quickly. It's uh it's a load of material about uh, stories about me performing and being on stage as a kid and times that went wrong and how that's affected my relationship with the audience as an adult. And okay. um, the main thing that I struggle with with the audience is when they heckle, when they're on their phones, when they're talking amongst themselves um, and not watching the show. And this is me trying to combat that by saying at the top that's all allowed now yeah you don't have to do it but it's allowed <laughs> so it's sort of immersion therapy crossed with like uh like if if you say don't press the red button then everyone wants to press the red button so if you say you can press the red button then maybe people don't want to as much it's basically just up, up top instead of you know you've probably seen a lot of comics at the start of their shows try and like do some house rules and be like you know you've had some comics be aggressive with it and go, if you're thinking of heckling, just shut the fuck up or <laughs> fucking go home. No one wants to hear you. And then the audience applaud to let the hecklers know that that's the case and they agree with it. Or there's just like a formal thing before a show sometimes on the screen that says, please don't shout out or announcement over the speakers saying, please don't do this. Please don't be on your phones. And, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've just found none of that has ever worked for me at all. I think for whatever reason, probably the fact that I don't have I'm not a very authoritative figure. I'm not like a, the people no. don't look at me and go, we have to, we have to do, do what we're told <laughs> by this guy. So wh- I've just always had it uh, every tour, no matter what I'm talking about. And I think the last tour, it being like, a, you know, because before the last tour, it was all shows that were whimsical shows, of, you know, and there might be personal reveals at the end of them, but they were mainly, you know, me pretending to be on jury service or whatever. Uh but then when you do a show like my last one, I did a show that was very personal about my mental health. And there's a lot of very personal things in there. And when you've got people turning up to that and not only heckling during that show, but heckling after personal revelations that you've just shared yeah. with them, uh, and they're making fun of those things or they're joking or they're talking over those things or they're on their phones during those things. Uh, you just kind of go, I, I'm not sure. I uh, can I like ignore this. this problem any longer. I either have to, you know, stop doing this or figure out a way of combating it. So this is just like an attempt. I, yeah, it's just an attempt at sorting that out. But. Yeah, owning it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and you said about film that you just wrapped up, which is obviously, I mean, I would imagine you are NDA'd up to the eyeballs on talking about the old ghost busting. Um, but was it fun? Did you like yeah. being a Hollywood man now? It was amazing. Like, you know, it was all in, in Winnersh, so not very Hollywood, <laughs> but um, it was uh, it was great. I, I, you know, obviously the whole thing's new to me, so every day was uh, something to look forward to, you know, whether it's working with a certain actor or, um, you know, being on a certain set with iconic things around you that you've watched as a kid. Um, and, and also just acting, just kind of 
something that I've wanted to do for a while. I've been auditioning for things for a long time. Famously played the mouse in... Uh... Famously played John the Mouse, <laughs> um, which I didn't have to audition for. That was more other people's, you know, other people's misfortune and then me p- pouncing on it. So, like, I couldn't have a... Couldn't make that a career. <laughs> Who did you get on most with while shooting? Did you have any meaningful conversations meaningful interactions talking about you know music or film or oh yeah bill murray was at mighty hoopla which is not the festival that i would have imagined bill murray to be going to do you chat about music with him um i didn't i did talk about music with him actually because um uh he had he got there a bit later than other people and i think he arrived around the time of the halfway meal that they had for everybody for the cast and crew and um, I wasn't there because I was doing my album launch, and um, which you guys hosted. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, we took you for. away from. Uh, no, well, I I wanted to do that, <laughs> but like, um, so I first met him probably like later that week, and uh, he was like, "How come you weren't at that meal?" And I said, "Oh, I had a, I had a um a event that I had to go to," and Ernie Hudson, who's one of the sweetest guys ever just went not just any event tell him what the event was and and, and, and encouraged me to you know tell him that it was an album launch and so i did and and, uh yeah he was quite interested in that talked about so temps party gate of purgatory yeah we did the party for you i thought that was really fun actually like do you still own the suit oh yeah no you were wearing the suit at the party someone else was someone else was wearing the suit Uh... and everyone thought it was me and was calling him james (laughs) poor guy it's a guy from the publishing company i think oh i mean that yeah whoever got the short end of the straw and had to be in that yeah. sweltering hot thing for a while yeah. was, that's the intern's job I think. yeah it was floated that it would be me and then i remembered how boiling it is i was like do you know what i quite like to enjoy my album launch yes and uh so if you either don't do it or someone else does it yeah. well actually a very good dj you and nish were tearing up the the decks being behind there together was really fun was that the first time you dj'd well i'm always careful to call it djing because obviously there are proper djs out there who who do stuff properly who would think a guy playing music off of his itunes is not djing um but uh it's not the, no, it's not the first time i've done that so like yeah I've, I've done that quite quite a few times now and i really enjoy it in the right environment and then in other environments, I've had extremely stressful times of uh, people making requests when I've got no, I've got nothing. I haven't got, <laughs> you know, I've, I've done some gigs, gigs, with some like DJing for friends, you know, at friends events, friends weddings or something. And I'll do it for free and just DJ it. And what I've found, I guess, and I don't know why, is if, if it's a performer's wedding, if it's a comedian or a musician or whoever, uh, you tend just to be left alone by the people who are there and you get mm-hmm. to just play your songs and everyone dances. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, you, I think I actually played a more obscure playlist at the Temps album launch than I did, than I would usually. Usually I'd just be playing Torn by Natalie and Brulio and, <laughs> you know, Africa by Toto and all, all those kind of songs. So I'm very much just playing crowd pleasers. I'm not disappearing up my own ass at weddings <laughs> and going like, I'm going to play whatever, this obscure off Montreal track. And, and uh, so... <laughs> But um, but you still get people at weddings where the bride and groom are not performers, and I don't know why that is. But when I've done that, people that's when people come up to me and go, can you play this? And unfortunately, both times I've done that um, have been times where there's no Wi-Fi in the venue, 
and I've been told ahead of time, like, you know, here's our playlist, bride and groom's playlist of what yeah. we want. I feel like that's more responsibility, though, because when you're DJing at your own event, then you can sort of do what you want. Whereas if you're DJing someone's wedding, you could like ruin their wedding if you play like shit music. Yeah. So it feels like you're quite responsible. Also, you can ruin their wedding if you end up in a blazing row with one of the wedding guests, <laughs> which was my main uh, concern. Because <laughs> I'm just playing hollaback girl or whatever everyone's dancing it's fine but you get one person come up to you so if i had to really learn the hard way i'm sure you two have both dj'd mm. proper events and you already know this but i it took me a long time to learn that if someone requests a song you just say yes like you just yeah. go yeah brilliant <laughs> and then they go away and nine times out of ten, you'll never see them again, even if you don't play their song. Mm-hmm. One time out of ten, they will come back and go, are you going to play that? And then you just say yes again. Yes. yes, for sure. And then they go away, and that's probably the end of it. Yeah. It's probably very, very rare that they would repeatedly come back and it gets, you know, if you say yes. But I didn't know that. <laughs> so, like, the first time I was... DJing at something and I was just playing I had my playlist I had the bride and groom's playlist I was going back and forth between the two everyone the dance floor was full and people didn't know I was having these issues by the end of the night everyone was like the dance floor was full all night I've not been at a wedding like that before well done and I was like (laughs) yeah I was like trying not to get my head kicked in because like you know 10 songs in or whatever a drunk guy just walks right up to me just face to face and it's like can you play Brian Adams? <laughs> and I was like, oh, mate, I'd love to play Brian Adams, but there's no Wi-Fi in this venue. And all I've got is these two playlists. Um, so I can only play what's on here. And Brian Adams is on here. I'm sorry. And he went, I remember really clearly. He went, he went, it's a yes or no question. I went, oh, okay, well, no. And he went, why? And you're like, for fuck's sake. But he's hammered and... And so I explained it again, and he goes, uh, he, I remember, he, he went, oh, so I'm a, I'm a cunt, am I? Because I asked you for a song. <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck. No. And you're like, well, no, but also I think you might be. So that's... But Is that like, a yes or no answer? I was yeah. like, no, uh, all this. And then he gets dragged away, but then you see him go over to his mates, tells them, this guy is refusing to play songs, which is made worse maybe when you're the only person at the wedding who's on the telly right because i think then it's like just having some sort of superiority he thinks he's fucking great he's coming here he's playing these songs and he's refusing to do requests so then you you get immediately you get one of their mates come over and go and request the same thing and you explain to them and then and then they're usually more sober but more actually more of an asshole so, so, so they go like yeah i'm just trying to understand why though because this is a wedding and it's not about you is it and you're going yeah I, it's totally not about me um if you look at the screen so i've got these these, these are what the bride and groom have chosen and i'm playing all of those and this is what just i i prepared and I'm, that's all i can play i'm sorry I'm, I'm doing it for free i'm not like i'm not trying to be a dick and they're like, right, so you, you won't play any songs that anyone requests, even though it's a wedding and everyone's trying to have fun. <sighs> and it escalates. <laughs> and I, I mean, that night was awful. And then I, I remember that the next one I had where it was like, 
the bride and groom had been at that one and they'd known about the hassle I'd had. <laughs> so they were like, don't worry, we're going to send out an email ahead of time telling everyone, put your requests in beforehand and James will have them on a playlist. Yeah. Because it was the same Smart. situation with the Wi-Fi. Okay. List. So everyone, some people just sent their requests in. I got sent them. I put them on a playlist. Got Brian and Groom stuff, the wedding guest stuff. A lot of Brian Brian. Adams, just in case. Brian Adams, absolutely, to the rafters. (laughs) And then, like, I think during the groom's speech, he was thanking all the people. and So thanks to James, who's going to be DJing later. Um, James will not be taking requests, everyone. We can't be clear enough about that. And then you're like, oh, my God. Well, now I look like (laughs) I've asked him to say that, or I've said no requests. You know, given the context. (laughs) As the groom... Just say this thing he doesn't have Wi-Fi, so he's having all he's having to go off. But he doesn't. He just says James doesn't take a request. <laughs> so like one song in, literally, some this person have been raring to do it. One song in, this person comes up to me and is like, "Yeah, I know you don't want to take requests from people, but me and my friends really like this song. So we would just like you to play that song. Is that okay at the wedding? Like like that to me, uh, and I to be like, yes." I'll play that song. <laughs> and, they, and, they, learning. and they went away. And then I was like, I need to uh, go home as soon as possible. I decided to go home because my, there was a point where for whatever reason, the speaker system went down and just, it just stopped and everyone started booing me. No. And I was like, and then someone who had been on the stag do, who was a dickhead, turned up and like put me in a headlock like, Wee! like that and I was like I need to fucking go home <laughs> like I need to go home so bad what I'm talking about with the Hector's tours like I seem to attract it and I don't know why we have a wonderful picture of you cut out from a local paper yes is it, is it clear this? which one's me yeah well we had to zoom in a little bit for people that haven't seen, the picture should be on the thing, but um, you were dressed as Carmen Miranda. I Yeah. I mean, I guess the first question is what makes, uh, I'm going to guess, maybe 12-year-old boy from Kettering choose to dress as a dead singer from the 50s? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm not choosing in a way. <laughs> it was, um, so it was the gang show, which anyone... People who are, were in the Scouts and the Cubs and whatever, and girl guides will know what the gang show is, but like... Um, anyone else it's going to be a confusing uh, uh thing to bring up but like so it's a variety show put on by the scouts and the guides yeah um i hope it's still going don't know if it is i think the kettering one isn't anymore mm. but it was very much my route into performing and like being able to perform i wanted to perform and be on stage and do things creatively since you know i can remember but in Kettering, there weren't many opportunities um, to do that. Um, and uh, I was in the Cubs anyway. I remember, I remember going to see the gang show for the first time at the McKinley Theatre, which has since been bulldozed and now oh. there's houses there. But um, went, to see it, went to see it there and thought it was the coolest thing ever because <laughs> uh, there were comedy <laughs> sketches in it. And uh, yeah, there'd be like a song and dance number, you know, like, like a whole kind of section of like, you know, whatever show tunes or another section of songs that are all about the summer or something. Nice, nice. Uh, and then no, sketches and um, dance, you know, obviously like be a dance number at some point. 
and I obviously love the comedy sketches and wanted to do the comedy sketches and auditioned. You had to audition, which I think was more of a formality. I can't remember anyone getting a rejection letter from the Kettering Gang show. But auditioned for it, got in. I actually auditioned for, there was always one kind of sketch or whatever that was just the Cubs and everything else was scouts and guides. So I auditioned for the, well, I was in the Cubs for the Cubs one because I was just about to leave the Cubs like, mm-hmm. unexpectedly, but the whole show. And I was like, I can't believe this is the coolest thing. But I got <laughs> to be in the Cubs sketch as well. But then I, was, I wasn't in any of the comedy sketches. I was just in the singing and dancing at that point. And I think, I think, I don't know, the, the photo that I've sent you, I think that was before I got to be in any of the sketches. I started being in the sketches when I was, I don't know. Arguably, uh, I would say a sketch, like a sort of skit, seems like a warm up to doing a full Carmen Miranda fruit bowl routine. That feels like it should be the sort of you know when you get cast as like Mary in the Nativity, like that's she's yes. the star. Surely, I've got no memory of being Carmen Miranda, and I think that um, I think that when the Evening Telegraph, when the Kettering Telegraph came in to do that piece. Uh, they just needed someone to put that fruit on their head for the photo. Right. <laughs> I think that's what happened. I, 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 and that I was like, yeah, obviously I'll do that. Because uh, whatever the most attention-seeking thing is, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that and put that on my head. Um, either that or is it some sort of like dark repressed thought that you have blocked down into the gutters yeah. <laughs> of your performance memory? What do you remember actually doing in the show then? Well, there's a load of... So I did a bunch of... I did the show many years in a row until I was 15. Too old, uh, in some people's <laughs> eyes, to still be in the Scouts. Um, so I probably started doing it when I was 10 or 11. So every year, you know, until I was 15. Um, in 1999, we did the Royal Albert Hall gang show, Whoa. which was like wow. a whole bunch of different... Um, Big time. Gang shows from around the country, yeah, the big time. It felt like such a big deal, like a really <laughs> – it was a big deal, obviously. You know, you're a teenager and you're doing the Royal Albert Hall. That is huge. And I thought – and it was like, you know, a life-changing thing of like you know, really wanting to continue to do that my whole life. And a really great thing that the people who put that on did – However, we did get given the VHS of it afterwards. And for a um, stand-up show I was doing, um, I revisited it. Mm. And it was bad. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, I mean, not very... Um, yeah, <laughs> the, I remember it being so much work. But uh, Do you have, Did you have lines? Not in the Royal Albert Hall one. I was just in the chorus and just doing the... I had lines in the the Kettering Gang show. Uh, I remember when I was 13, I started being in the sketches. So I probably had a good, good old three years of being in the sketches. And um, <laughs> I... Uh, so our, our version of SNL. Exactly. But for Kettering. Like yeah, yeah, it's exactly like, like that. <laughs> I guess it is. I mean, it, it's kind of, it is kind of as close as to Footlights as Kettering can get. You know, we're not... Uh, a posh city yeah. <laughs> who has loads of money so like you, you do have to do these things instead and uh, and the people who did them you know alan mason who directed that gang show every year i owe i actually in all seriousness i owe quite a lot to because you know having someone encourage you to, to get up and do that stuff uh is is awesome um i i remember doing a sketch where we were at the seaside and i was the mum 
So I got to do really high-pitched voices and play with my fake bosoms for the whole thing. Nice. Uh, adjusting, like adjusting them constantly, which actually wasn't for comic effect. I genuinely was uncomfortable, but <laughs> it, got, it got, got a real big laugh from the crowd. Um, you know, would I do that now? Probably not. But like I was... Uh, <laughs> Time to change. 13, being directed by Alan Mason. Um, don't want to get him cancelled. I'm not going to... Anyway. Uh, were you nice writing book. jokes? Were you, were you writing no. bits, either in your head or on paper? No, no. You were just given the sketches to do so it was all just performance and i was i was putting those sketches with my mates so it was always just me and my friends who i was joking around with we, we had a camcorder and we'd always be like doing like stupid you know going around kettering all the nearby villages filming ourselves doing stupid stuff anyway fake jackass stunts and whatever yeah so like um you know those were the people that i was in these sketches with so just that sounds fun that's a good thing to do you know as a teenager when you can't go to the pubs anyway and if there's not many gigs happening in your town right make your own fun yeah it was great and like you know there were really i could look back and laugh at it and we were definitely especially because there was a camcorder you look back at the actual footage sometimes which i think i did once and once only as an adult and you go oh we were insufferable <laughs> like how did anyone put up with us it was the most annoying little but you know obviously at the time it was awesome can you remember the first time that you kind of did a performance where you made people laugh and thinking like this is quite an addictive feeling oh good question yeah that was it was my uh so at the church that we went to when i was a little kid uh they had sketches as well like comedy sketches and it was one of those like laid back non-denominational churches and uh and i did a sketch where um i might yeah, i spoke about this on a podcast before and my my dad's like well, i don't remember that uh so it's, you know, my parents always like that my parents will listen to this my mum listens to every podcast that i do <laughs> um and often when it's a story of my childhood it, the rule generally is if they don't remember it then it didn't happen and I'm right lying. okay but uh mum if you listen this absolutely happened so that it was a it was a comedy sketch with it was me and my dad and dad my dad played god and i don't know who did the casting it wasn't me so maybe it was my dad's idea to play god i think it was right. and uh, and i was i was gonna be uh I guess Jesus, just a, presumably. A, a, a human man uh, <laughs> uh just a human being and it was god uh saying like will you give me this part of your life whatever it was i don't know your work life yes i'll mm. give that to god will you give me your uh the, i don't know family family life yes <laughs> give that part of my life to you your leisure time and i'll go and any time the answer was no i had to just say no i won't give you that but i just start i just decided to perform it kind of I'd swiftly turn my head away from him and him and go, no, like that. And it would get a laugh every time I did it. I didn't understand what the sketch was really about. You know, <laughs> I did that. And uh, certainly, again, another, another kind of sketch that I wouldn't perform now or agree with the uh, message of. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I got a laugh every time I did that no thing. Yeah. Also, really some really it. sassy writing from your dad there on script duties. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was meant to just be no, and I just in the moment performed it like that. Yeah. Thinking that, and I don't think I was trying to be funny. <laughs> Maybe I was, because I really loved the comedy sketches that were funny. Like I said, I don't really remember a time when I didn't want to get on stage and perform. I remember after that sketch circulating around the congregation afterwards, 
and going up to adults and being like, I saw you uh, enjoying that sketch that me and my dad did earlier and like bringing it up. <laughs> really, you know. Um, Want to uh, give me a bit more praise about that old yeah, yeah. thing that you did? A very nice, well-meaning Christian woman. Me going, I saw you laughing at the sketch. And she was like, oh, no, I wasn't laughing at you. Uh, figured that she'd offended me by laughing at me, me as a kid, trying to clear up the confusion, but not really knowing how to. No, no, I want laughter from yes. my art. And uh, I want you to praise me more and how funny it was. I'm not saying I didn't like the laughter, but she kept on being like, James, I'm, I, I don't want you to think I was laughing at you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely just always wanted to do that sort of stuff and um, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to promote this stand-up show, but um, it kind of does come come back to it does kind of come back to that of like you know I am trying to figure out why that that is why why it is that I've wanted to do that forever and uh, how healthy it is or isn't. Yeah. So you're you're a music fan, you yeah. know. We we know that, and we we kind of we've got a big sense of your taste over the last few years with Perfect Sounds. And when did like music? When did bands specifically? You know, what was the first? Did you ever see? A, was it a local band that sparked that delight? What do you remember the first connection you had outside of your parents' record collection? I mean, again, it was probably the band in church, to be honest, which is like, you know, but because th- that's the thing. If you, if you get taken to church every Sunday from when you're born, <laughs> um, then you're going to a gig every week, essentially, especially if you're at the kind of church I was at where it was all just, it was a rock band set up. Doing, really? Doing oh, wow. like, you know, Great. quite, um, yeah, it wasn't hymns. It was all these. Uh, I don't know what what kind of songs they would be called, really. But like sort of like Christian rock songs, crazy song. Yeah, yeah. But you probably, yeah. I actually can't. But you might get a song like you know that Shine Jesus Shine song or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's just played by this rock band, and it just feels quite upbeat. So it's not like you know, yeah. it's not yeah, like you're playing any kind of obscure, you know, Christian rock tunes. But like, <laughs> but it's a rock band playing these songs, and like, and you know, the drummer was called a guy called Sid Harris, who I remember very well. Um, he had really long dreadlocks and was like, and I was like, I want to be like him <laughs> uh, pretty early on as a kid. I was like, I, I really liked the music every week. I wanted to play the drums because uh, he's looked like he's having a good time playing the drums. And also I found drums slightly funny and I don't know why I found them. I thought they were a comical instrument. Um, so like, I was drawn to that as well because I uh, you know, just always liked things being funny and comedy and didn't understand why anyone would like any other genre of, um, you know, entertainment, nice. drama or anything. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was just, it was kind of that. And then I, I, we were at a family barbecue once, probably again for someone at the church. That was all my social circle until I could decide for myself. And um, I remember them playing some compilation album called something like, greatest album in the world ever volume six or something and yep. uh it was all these songs that i just thought every song was incredible like down under and uh centerfold and rocking all over the world and i thought they were yeah. all incredible and funny and i actually stand by the fact that those songs are funny to be fair the concept <laughs> of someone rocking all over the world is hilarious and um you know down under is this weird song about just people living in australia <laughs> and well, uh, i think like if it, you know beatles and kinks yeah. a lot of those songs are funny yeah. yeah they've got a lot of funny lyrics haven't they i think like were yeah. you actively seeking out the funny songs when you were younger then or was that not just really. what sort of happened into your orbit i mean maybe part of it as well was just not being able to 
articulate how I felt about things, not having the words. So I kind of say funny for just some a song that made me feel good and I liked it. Like a song like Teenage Kicks, really liked that as a kid. And would probably describe that as funny, but it's not really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but, but, but I would just have this connect. It would spark. Yeah, you because know, music does this thing to you a lot of the time where you can't really explain the feeling or whatever it is that it sets off. It's quite intangible. And, and like, so I think as a kid, I would start off with all oh, these songs are pretty funny. Hi Ho Silver Lining's a funny song. Someone's got flies in their pea that. soup and bad luck, mate. <laughs> uh, but then, like, you know, uh, I would just use that word for pretty much every song that I liked, you know. Yeah. None of the uh, church songs were my favourite songs, although uh, my parents have a story that I can't remember, but I still believe you, mum and dad, that this happened, <laughs> um, where apparently I had a kid, uh, as a friend at school who was a Buddhist, and he came round to my house, and uh, I, we, we, had an old, we had a ukulele in our house that I'd been given as a birthday present or Christmas present. And I said to him, do you want to hear a song? And he said, yeah. And I sang one of the songs from church while just like strumming the ukulele. And then he was like, oh, I'll sing a song for you and did like a chant thing for me. And that we were just going back and forth, trading those very innocently <laughs> while everyone just watched us, you know, neither of us embarrassed and both of us just accepted each other. That's um, It's sort of probably, like um, the UN in your own uh, front room. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> well, you know, it's never too late to bring a little bit of uh, Christian rock back into the temps. Sure. Over. Oh, I'm trying to think if any of them are Christians, I don't know. <laughs> Um, so the song that you picked today when we asked you to bring one that reminds you of your youth that was the universal by blur um what's your connection to that that's um because uh i was trying to go for like all everything around a similar time so that was uh the gang show as well that was the first time i was in the gang show my first night of it and my parents knew it meant a lot to me and i got home and they'd bought me that on single and left it on my bed as like a well done uh for no. you know, your first night of like actually doing this and being on stage and uh it it was like a song i was talking a lot about anyway i talked a lot about how much i loved that song it was the it was the whole Blur versus Oasis thing around Big that time. time, probably the yeah. height of it. Those two albums, um, I chose Blur in the um, you know Park Life, not in the park in, in the um, country house uh, roll roll with it. I think yeah. um, battle. <laughs> um, Both uh, sort of their worst songs, but fine. Yeah, weird, isn't it? It's weird, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I chose Country House anyway because it was funnier. And it is funny. Yeah, roll with it. Um, yeah. I chose that. And then wanted the follow-up single, um, Universal, which I think is one of, still one of their best songs. I think it's like that's yeah. stood the test of time, I think. Um, really wanted that. So they bought it for me as like, a, you know, well done for tonight. And, and, and yeah, I think it's that thing of uh, just meant a lot that, well, for one, doing that show really, really meant a lot to me at that age and getting in and being able to do it. Um, was really important to me. So having your parents let you know that they understand that 
uh, and that it means a lot to you as well. It's really nice. So um, that song still reminds me of that and that kind of like support from my mum and dad. Although I do feel like the bloody British gas advert has ruined it minorly for me because now mm. it does just make me think I need to check my meter every time I <laughs> listen to it. Um, but no, it's good. Were you like a big Brit? Like, I guess how old were you? You would have been like, what, sort of 10-ish around the mm-hmm. Britpop time? Did yeah. that whole sort of scene sink into your consciousness a lot? Yeah, it did. Although I think I got it wrong. Like looking back at it i definitely so like i chose blur for those two singles but broadly i chose oasis and i got the oasis albums which i think is just i'm afraid categorically the wrong choice (laughs) um like i think blur won the battle and the war on that one it, it was it was their discography so just like you know just the two bands as they were blur yeah. just wins on, on discography and, and, and like best albums and the most amount of best, you know, of good albums yeah. that they put out, you know, Oasis put out two good albums yeah, and blur put out every album they put out was good. Was good. <laughs> um, and different. And yeah. And also let's face it. The, 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 the projects since uh, blur have completely, <laughs> you know, stomped Oasis into a fine paste. So like, I don't really think, you know, you can. I, I, it's a laughable argument whenever anyone goes, says Oasis are, are the better band. I'm afraid, and I don't know why it's a uh, it's a debate. It shouldn't be. He's got cooler and cooler, Damon Albarn, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's aging very, very well. I think. I think he's the only man to ever headline Glastonbury two years in a row. Fun fact. Oh, that's cool. Pretty good, isn't it? Two um, different projects. Gorillas and Blur. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. Quality. Pretty good. Um, do you think though? Because I think like the Oasis thing when you're young, especially if you're maybe like a young man, um, like the sort of swagger mm-hmm. of like Liam. Like, do you think that that was maybe what turned your head? I think it was probably yeah, just the people at school. I think it was just my classmates just saying, well, "You know, it's Oasis. Like this. <laughs> yeah, we've made our mind up. Yeah, Oasis are the better one." I was like, "Okay." Well, then that's the way I'm going. Even though when, before I conferred with my classmates, I was like, I've been blur a bit. But like, I didn't have the uh, the uh, courage to say that in class and go wrong. Um, and, I th- and I think that's because I was like, actually, you know, the whole thing of like, going back to the Christian thing, like I'm not religious anymore. But when I was a kid and I was raised in that way, I loved going to church so much before I went to uh, school, before I started school. And then I started school and discovered that I was different for doing that. And and uh, that was suddenly that I had this innocence that the some of the other kids, even like with like stuff like swearing or whatever, and, and like, you know, I wasn't doing that. They were... Uh, they thought going to church was stupid and all this. I was like, oh no, I've got to keep that a secret. Uh, mm. I, I can't talk about that. I, I want to, and suddenly this very urgent need to fit in all of a sudden. So definitely, I, w- I would never go, no, Blur are better than Oasis. You lot are wrong. You know, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oasis, okay, okay. I mean, yeah. I'm in with you guys. And that. it wasn't until I was about 13 when I started being like, no, I like Nirvana and I think that all of the bands that everyone else in my school likes are stupid and I'm going to stop listening to you know, whatever's in the charts. What's your first Nirvana memory? Uh, reading Kerrang! Top 100 albums of all time, seeing Nevermind at the top of it and saying, 
I'm thinking, okay, I should... Actually, no, my first Nirvana memory is seeing them on the top 100 albums of all time on Channel 4 or whatever. There was, you know, it was a big Talking Heads, um, as in the format, not the band. <laughs> the, uh, Channel 4 doing, like, Talking Heads top 100 list shows. That, that was a big thing for a while. And mm. um, I, I loved them. I especially loved the music ones. And Nirvana were on one of those lists, albums or singles or something. And they played a clip of them playing Smells Like Teen Spirit live. And I turned to my dad and said, this isn't music. This is horrible. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. <laughs> and because um, he didn't like Nirvana at that point. He does now because I kind of, I think I might have got him, got him into Nirvana. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and then a year later, within a year, they were my favorite band. But like, it was like, there was just something, I don't know what, something just flipped and switched and suddenly yeah. Uh, yeah. that music was really melodic and uh, harmonious to me and sounded beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Did it happen to what, coincide what with puberty by any chance? Yeah, who knows why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, and then like, yeah, bought Nevermind on cassette and was listening to it all the time. And uh, yeah, just still one of my favourite albums. And hey, you mentioned cassettes. This is your third final it's item. It's a lovely old, and yeah, not even a CD walk, but like an old school tape Walkman yeah. back in the yeah. day. It was just like a birthday present or something like that. I can remember first getting this treasured item. When I, we first got it. I mean, like I went through a few of them because, you know, I was listening to it all the time. And... uh so often they would break and then I'd have to yeah, get a new dirty one. things, are they? Yeah, so I'd get a new one for birthday or Christmas. Um, and it would have to be a birthday or Christmas present. Yeah, we, we weren't getting that stuff just, you know, <laughs> any old day of the week. So um, it would have been a birthday or Christmas present. But, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd really love, mate, well, we'd get cassette tapes of albums that we liked, but also... Um, make mixtapes as well and listen to those and so it was yeah. just like a pretty constant you know uh love affair with cassettes and you know do you used to do that thing where you put sellotape over the holes and then you can re-record over them <laughs> no, I know about this stuff <laughs> yeah oh yeah if you were a wily little thrifty child huh. then you could put uh i think you just cut yeah you have to cover up the little holes on the bottom and then uh it's a it's a blank it's a blank cassette all over again. That's one of my favourite things to do, but before a school trip, because because you could I think you could, I might be lying, but I think cassettes were a bit longer. Or I think you could fit quite a lot in on them, yeah. so you could put full albums on there. And then, like the most fun part was doing the artwork and writing down all yeah. the track list, mm-hmm. getting your name on it. Did were you into that sort of stuff, Loved James? It. Loved it. Which is like you know, with this Temps album, the whole it's just been everything I've ever wanted to do uh, I finally got to do it because I, you know, I, I was doing that all the time with cassette tapes and like it'd be my chance to make it like it was my own thing that I was like I, like I was going to release it into the you know, it'd be yeah. full colour colour it in cartoons uh, all the track list in all of that give it some stupid name um, and then as the years went on and like forming bands with friends and like, you know, designing the artwork for what would be your album, the track list was the order it would all be in. Blah, blah, blah. Um, 
it's very nice at 38 to finally put that out. <laughs> and, you know, and on that night, on that launch night, I actually hold the vinyl in my hand for the first time and go, oh, it's here. It's an official thing that's in the shop and people can yeah. buy it. And I've drawn the artwork and, you know, that's all done by hand by me and, and it's all nice. like, you know, properly there. So, yeah, that was uh, definitely something I just liked from the start and always imagining, you know, if, if you know, it was a real thing that existed in the world and not just my own little cassette tape that I'd coloured in. Did you used to make mixtapes for people? Yeah, too much, like, you know, for too long. And if anything, that's probably quite a good thing about the digital revolution and, uh, and uh, just, you know, streaming, taking over. Um, there's a, a myriad of bad things and negative things for the music industry. But uh, for my friends and new people that I meet, it has been uh, an absolute blessing because that means that they don't all get given a tape they'll never listen to um, <laughs> when, I, when I meet them or get to, get to know them. Uh, or when I fall in love with them, they get a new one every week. Oh, yeah. Did you do some romance tapes? Well, they weren't ever. I never did it that it was a theme. All the lyrics were about how I felt, but mm. I would make them. A, if, I, if I'd started a new relationship or fancied someone, they'd be getting a tape. Uh, but confusingly, so would anyone that I didn't fancy or just knew. So like it's no one really would, would be able to figure out if I liked them or not, because I'd also given up everyone else Mysterious you know, in, the, in the office <laughs> or whatever, you know, a, a, a cassette tape. But one thing that I did do, which actually coming, this comes back to the DJing as well, the lessons that I've learned through DJing uh, is um, the tape would just be songs that I like. Mm. so it would just be about me which like so it wouldn't be oh this person i've got to know them and i'm interested in them and i know what music they like i think they would like this because nowadays it's taken me a very long time late 30s now so nowadays uh, i will only recommend stuff to people because i know what music they like (laughs) i've just heard something that i think they would like and so i say you know you should check out this album but for years, it was just, I like this. Everyone should listen to this. I've made you a compilation tape. This is every, all of my favorite songs. Um, and uh, not seeing that maybe that should just be listened to by me. Actually, maybe I would enjoy listening to this compilation of my favorite songs. I've made songs. myself a mixtape. Yeah, I guess if you yeah. make yourself a mixtape, that's just uh, doesn't have quite the same sort of level of charm to it if you're just gifting yourself lovely mixes. Um, no. is, there anything, is there any one of those where you kind of gave... Uh, like a potential love interest, something wildly mad <laughs> that you that you had decided you loved and was maybe not an appropriate thing to try and woo a lady with? Ooh, I mean, I think that probably whatever mixtape I made someone would just be like just everything that I liked, including, you know, it's just stuff that they would hate just because... I think I would have it in my head as a, you know, uh, whatever, you know, late teens, early 20s, probably even mid 20s, you know. Early 30s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, luckily that stream, streaming had taken over by them. They had taken that <laughs> out of my hands. God. Oh, thank, thank God. I would, I would have still been doing it probably. But like, I, I definitely had this thing of like, well, you know, I just want to show them this is me. This is who I am. And if they don't like it, that means probably wasn't meant to be. And if they don't accept it, I'm a little bit crazy. (laughs) It's completely not 
not the way to go about things and not like uh <laughs> it absolutely doesn't make any sense really emo almost incelly way of going about it but uh but like you put on uh you know i put on like there's a band called sixth who i love yeah. their mm-hmm. like uh debut album it's still one of my favorite albums and i would always put on a song by them for people who you know listen to exclusively you know folk music Beyonce. or something yeah i'd be like and here's skies of millennium night by six they'd be like well of course they're not gonna like that and listen it doesn't matter if they well they're gonna listen to it and go well this is who he is so i've got to embrace this no you fucking haven't i'm gonna embrace that you just be like i don't want to hear six played around the house that's what I'm that was James A. Caster on the latest episode of Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. Thank you, James. Everyone, go listen to Temps. Go listen to Off Menu. Go listen to all of James's many and various wonderful bits of material. Go give the new issue a read. Go give DIY Magazine a subscribe if you fancy getting the print edition through your letterbox. And if you're in the mood for subscribing to stuff, why not give this podcast? to subscribe to you can give it a like a subscribe and we'll be right in your ears every tuesday morning we have got a handful more episodes of this first series of before they knew better still to come we've had so many great guests already from killer mike to may muller to bastille to mxm tune and loads more and there's still more to come so give them all a listen like subscribe all of that and we'll see you next week This episode is brought to you by Rock in Rio Lisboa. The sister event to Brazil's iconic music festival Rock in Rio, the Portuguese leg of the event is set to celebrate its 20th anniversary with one of its biggest editions yet, and over 80,000 attendees across its four days, of which some of them could be you. Taking place over two weekends this June, some of music's biggest names will be taking to the stage in Lisbon. We're talking Ed Sheeran, we're talking Doja Cat, even the Jonas Brothers are getting in on the action, and with each day specially curated by genre, there's literally something for everyone. I went to the town in Rio last year, which is curated by the same people as Rock in Rio. And it was, I'm going to say, one of the wildest festivals I've ever been to. This year's Rock in Rio Lisboa takes place on the 15th, 16th, 21st and 22nd of June. And tickets can be purchased now via their website, rockinriolisboa.pt.